Across a lot of creative agencies, the modern day work chat program Slack has been widely adopted by companies of all sizes. It's now such a part of the public consciousness. It's become the first choice for creatives when communicating in teams. Macon didn't exactly look at alternative options when choosing to make Slack part of our workflow. And it was a poor fit until we realized it wasn't ever going to fit. The whole Macon team has previous experience using Slack in other capacities. But we needed to rethink what tools were the most appropriate for this team at this moment in time. Maybe you can elaborate a bit more on that. Instantaneous communication sounds like a good idea, but is terrible for everyone involved. We live with intense media overload. Our lock screens are battlegrounds for our attention. Right around the time we started putting this story together, I remember Sharice describing Macon's experience with Slack as a spectacular failure. Yeah, I would go so far as to say it was a garbage fire. To that point, we realized Slack wasn't working and we started trying out other tools. And now we want to dig deeper into what makes a good collaborative team environment. It's not that Slack hasn't worked. It's proven itself to be a great tool for the making community and its members. But why has it failed for some, us included, in this exact function that it was created for, as a solution for business messaging? To give you some background, Slack has vaulted itself to high heights in the last few years. It has a $9 billion valuation, 5 million daily active users, and around 1.5 million paid users. Those are not small numbers. Besides ourselves, we have heard rumblings of other people growing disenchanted with Slack and reconsidering the right and wrong ways of getting work done. We were among them. So what was the next chapter after Slack, you're probably wondering? Well, we moved to a new platform called Twist, created by the people at Todoist. To be clear, this is not an ad for Twist or Todoist. It's more of an exploration into digital efficiency and how we use tools these days. But anyways, back to Twist, it's somewhere between instant messaging and email, but acts closer to email with this threaded approach. The best part is that it's working for us. As we started to take a step back, we were wondering why it worked. And then we started to kind of throw ideas around with what Slack is good at, how has it helped us? And as we continue to seek out what are the ways that define our work and what makes the best work, we soon realized that in a world that's increasingly digital and favors optimization and efficiency, there's some layers you have to peel away. So we spoke with a couple of Slack users in different agencies and a couple of other Macon team members to find out how they approach their digital work and whether tools like Slack or other tools enable them to do their work better. One of the first people we hit up was Tom Kirkby of Brakes Agency. And he outlined how in his previous job, a staff of 70 made the switch over to Slack. We, when we started Brakes, we started with Slack. So, but my previous job, the reason I heard about Slack is my previous job, I worked at an agency uh, four and a half years. And they, I was there when they were trying to, when they got Slack for the first time and they were trying to migrate everyone over to there. And before that, you'd come into work and there'll be just this horrific like chain of emails because if you send it like, you know, an office-wide email and there's 50 people in the company, it just it gets so out of control and so difficult to keep track of it. It's pointless. So I do remember that. 
and it's really nice to not have to deal with that anymore because it can just happen in Slack or on, on WhatsApp or whatever. But I remember him. I remember when they were trying to migrate everyone over, and it was like a long process because it's a huge behavioural change because everyone's so used to doing something one way. And the way that they did it was the senior management would refuse to answer emails that could be talked about in Slack, so would reply to the email in Slack to that person, or they would only post start to only post like things that would have been like in a staff wide email, then only got posted in Slack. So it's like forcing people to come onto that platform to be able to get that information and to have those discussions. So Sharice, having heard Tom's take on things, did you have a similar experience when you first started using Slack? Yeah, everyone has to commit to the tool of choice. Even if email was the way things were done in the past and there are some dinosaurs who want to continue starting horrendous email chains that spiral into 15 people CC'd, You have to stick to your guns and move that conversation to Slack or whatever the chosen tool is. So it's undeniable that for Tom and his old company, Slack generated a lot of value. But what exactly is this value? We also talked to Sam Smith, who works side by side with Tom at Bricks. He highlighted that Slack is clearly the winner in free flowing idea generation and sharing. And for Sam, the ease of sharing is arguably one of the underlying successes of Slack. You can sort of feel that excitement come through Slack a lot more than if we were on like an email chain and like there's there's links being posted around and there's there's exa- and it's just easier to view examples and everyone's sort of like in that flowing conversation. That's the one thing I much, much, much prefer about it. It just feels like it 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 feeds that sort of creative output a lot more than email does. I think email slows down the process and makes it quite mechanical and, and slow and lethargic. Senior designer Debbie Poon of Constant, an agency in Hong Kong, also identified with this ease of sharing in Slack. It just wasn't that great until we found Slack. Then it just felt like we were sharing a lot more and kind of being more specific about what things were about. So what was interesting that unveiled itself over the course of this conversation was that as these agencies develop deeper relationships with their clients, Slack becomes this cozier way of communicating rather than a sterile, boring email. Can you be a little bit more specific about how this worked for the Breaks team? So for the Breaks team and Tom and Sam, they outlined how important clients like energy drink brand Red Bull and sneaker retailer Foot Patrol all became part of these new client agency Slack channels they had created. And they basically all adopted Slack as their way of communicating with one another. It almost feels like it's at the next stage relationship. Like if you don't know someone that well, like some clients who work in, they prefer email, but I think like ones we're really close with them. And it's like the next step. It's like getting to the second base with somebody. It's like transferring into the Slack channel rather than being on email, you know? I feel like it makes it more democratic because it's, it's such a wide open conversation about stuff. It's not sort of, you know, it feels like everyone's involved in things. We actually got some of our clients onto Slack as well to use it because we prefer it as a way of working. So we've actually got three separate we have one with Red Bull and we have one with Foot Troll, but Foot Troll's with two. So it's been really interesting to like see how those guys have sort of merged over to using it as well. What, what started as us using it as a vehicle for talking to those clients directly and having a place to share files where we're based in different offices has actually turned into them using it as a company and using it really well. So it's incited that behavioral change of those guys too. Yeah, it's really nice like in that regard to have the Foot Patrol example, especially like we'll work, when we work on big projects with them, it's nice to kind of just hit them up and they're like immediately getting back to you. It just feels like you're in the same office, you know? I had no idea that clients would be open to hopping onto Slack with their agencies. 
And this really indicates to me that Slack's value is apparent not only to creative agencies like Breaks, but their clients. Why was that so surprising to you? I have this idea, which could be unfounded, but the idea is that clients are a bit slower. Slower in adopting new things, you'd say? Yeah, slower in adopting, slower in being willing to try new technology. You had this hypothesis about Slack. Yeah, I was really curious how Slack was influencing how people were working and whether the abundance of notifications was creating this sense of anxiety. Slack is essentially designed to erase boundaries and create the expectation of these ASAP responses. But what did we find out, Charisse? At least we're open to being wrong because our theory was disproved. We found out that notification anxiety really isn't that big a deal. And just as much as people often get anxious with those red app badges, it's not quite the case with Slack. Tom of Breaks had some thoughts on this. My anxiety in waking up with messages is lessened since I've got just sort of, I think before I'm like, right, I have to reply to this right now because I can't leave them for one to two hours hanging, you know? Whereas as I've got older, I've realized that actually, if I don't, I don't reply to that message immediately, no one's gonna die, nothing's gonna go wrong, it's gonna be fine. And you sort of like, remove that stress from my head anymore. So I wake up, I've noticed that much. Like, I'll do it when I get to the office. I don't have to do it right this second. I'm lying in bed at 6 a.m. One thing Slack has been very diligent about is keeping the red receipts off. For those unfamiliar, it's the little notifications, whether it's a text notification or check marks that suggest, that lets you know that your message has been read. I read a tweet the other day of somebody directly thanking Slack for not implementing this feature. I actually read the same tweet and liked it. But did you know that Alex Mayland of Makeant actually uses red receipts in WhatsApp to hold himself accountable? I actually use the red messages specifically to keep myself accountable. I've I've gone back and forth in the past where I've like turned them off. And then I realized that over time, if I keep them off, then I just get in the habit of not treating that communication as it's something I need to respond to. So now I keep the red on because it forces me to respond because then I feel like, well, I got to save face because I don't want them to go back to the thread and be like, oh, he read this and he hasn't responded. So now usually my, my mechanism is I won't like tap the thread and let it be seen or read um, until I can address it, until I can go and like have something and dedicate time to responding. So Alex has figured out this personal system of using digital tools in a way that works for him. As Tom alluded to, is what you make of the situation and how you are ultimately in control. I know a lot of people leave their apps on default settings, but it's the individual customization of these apps that gives you power over your workflow. And regarding workflow, if you look further into it, there's actual cultural differences that exist, especially in the Western world where there's a clear break between work and leisure. Upcoming here, you'll hear Alex and Elphick outline the idea of urgency. And leading off with Alex, he believes urgency is a rarity. It just so happens that in Asia, there's a greater dependency on your phone, especially when you're always commuting and you're always on public transportation. Because most people are like, oh man, like I need to respond right away or they get anxiety. But not, obviously you guys don't really feel like a sense of anxiety from unreads or anything, do you? I don't know if I agree with that because I think that the average person actually has no urgency. 
I think it's hard to find people that like check their phones. Uh, maybe it's cultural. Like I think in Asia, people work differently. So like in Asia, generally speaking, you can expect someone to like be okay with working on WhatsApp or like be accessible by text. I think it's quite different in the U.S. Like people draw clear lines, you know, like don't message me about work on my my iMessage, you know, and don't even ask me to download anything other than my native phone messaging app, you know. I mean, maybe back to the kind of point of this is like, that's why things like Slack have risen mainly in the U.S. because people didn't feel comfortable with like a casual messaging app. So Slack is casual, but it's still kind of formal and like corporate in a way. You could say that email has been foundational in creating these global connections. And it certainly was a lot more convenient than snail mail. But the actual convenience of email was arguably one of the big steps towards changing user habits. I find that when I send an email, I usually write a lot more formally because that's what email seemed to call for. I think what you just touched upon there actually is a good segue into my belief that if you zoom out for a second, in this digital era, when convenience is accounted for, we don't ever lose sight of the need for human connection. And I think that the way you write an email and the fact it's more formal, perhaps creates a break in human connection. You could say that Slack in a way was a solution to that desire. It brought out a sense of warmth and humanistic connection to workplace and community dialogue, right? Slack was a solution, but we know this doesn't really exist. Slack is not a perfect solution. No one we talked to would ever say that Slack is the perfect solution. Beginning with Tom of Breaks and then Sam, they identify that there's a double-edged sword of more personal communication formats that are slowly seeping in, including WhatsApp. I always joke with people how much work and how much stuff gets signed off and how actual business stuff gets done through WhatsApp. And like yesterday, I had, had a client WhatsApp me with some ideas for a shoot. And you think, and it's bank holiday Monday, and I'm not really at work. And you sort of think, well, there's no line there. Like, he's obviously wants to get his ideas over to me, which is fine. But at the same time, like, is he going to be pissed off if he realizes I've been online and haven't replied to his message? Do I give him the double blue tick? And then you realize that I've just, like, binned him and wait until tomorrow? Like, where's the line? Ever since WhatsApp got file sharing and desktop version, these improvements are making it an increasingly bigger part of businesses' communication tools. Yeah, on top of that, I keep hearing about all these rumors that there's more business-centric features that are going to be developed. And for some people like Alex of Macon, he soon realized that after all the Slack hype had died down, it simply wasn't as exciting as what a lot of people had made it out to be. At first, I did think that Slack was like revolutionary until I sort of got over the hype cycle. And then I just sort of stepped back and was like, actually, like we can, I am already doing that on, on this other app. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was trying to fill the void between email and a phone call, but we had already filled the void. There was a period of time in Asia where you were charged per text message. And this was before iPhones were super popular and you could use iMessage. Because of this state of things, WhatsApp really took off because small scale data usage was more reasonable to folks than being individually billed per text. Yeah, I definitely recall some friends that ended up with these surprisingly large phone bills because of all their messaging. But to that point... WhatsApp solving the problem of the text message billing problem negated the value proposition of Slack. 
We've been talking a lot about these different tools for communicating, but I think we're overlooking something important. Despite all the talk about what tools serve the best for communicating across teams, let's not forget that it doesn't do the work for you. Exactly. Distraction is a primary roadblock against great work. Luckily, removing distractions is always an available option. It's free. Start by making structure and create opportunities to just disconnect. In the case of Macon sound engineer and music producer Elphick Wo, his need for heads down work means there are blocks of time he allocates to tasks relating to communication. I usually do it like the first thing in the day. And then so like I would just tackle everything after that, you know, and, and then maybe by the end of it, reply to like what I need to yeah. give, give my project to, right? So no, I think that's definitely valid. Don't bother me. I'm like working on it now because like yeah. I replied to you on the morning yeah. already, right? Or there's a deadline that I know that will be will be done. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that's just my way of tackling tasks. And to further the point, Alex chimes in. In a startup like Macon, it's kind of tricky because you want to be able to respond to everything ASAP. But I do think that there's some like some little sections of work that in order to be done well, demand like isolation and they demand like just focus on that, you know, do not disturb mode on your phone, just get it done. Because if you get distracted, then the output is flawed. So the inability for Slack to really work for us as a productivity and messaging tool isn't entirely unfounded. There are a lot of people like us. Yeah, so many others have broken out of the Slack hype train. That's not to say that Slack's rise hasn't been impressive. You can use it as a verb, such as I'll Slack you, and that definitely is an indicator of its influence. I've noticed that as I grow in my professional career, my responsibilities increase. And in the future, the higher I go, the more responsibility I'm gonna have. There's this one constant variable in all of this, time. Obviously time is something a lot of people are aware of, but I also feel that there's a sense of maturity that we as these digital natives are starting to accrue. It's no longer the digital wild, wild west out there anymore. Our technical maturity as a society means we have sort of a protocol or a guidebook on getting stuff done. You remember looking back and things that were seemingly big issues in the past, such as email pushing you to always be available? Yeah, we're past that. Yeah, I think those days are over. How do you think people view this work-life balance nowadays? I think there is increasingly this idea of sustainability as a lifestyle. And this idea is really taking hold. Why do you think it's something that we've finally come around to? It's after having experienced extremes that we're able to find balance. Yeah, that's always kind of the case. There's a sense of readjustment. When I look back early on in my career, I felt I was compelled to get everyone to sort of jump onto the same bandwagon. And you had to work my way and only my way. Some things require a massive buy-in from all parties, but I'm learning to embrace outcomes versus the exact path to that outcome. Sometimes there's a lot of ways of getting things done and it doesn't need to always be done your way. I am so thankful that you have come to that realization that each of us are unique in the way we approach problems and execute. I think the big takeaway for me over the course of this discussion and, and sort of unpacking all the layers is that the humanistic connection still reigns supreme in regards to communication. Ensuring we preserve this enables us to create the best work. What, what are your thoughts on it? When people enter the workforce, they develop their workflows either too late or too rapidly. 
it helps to start the whole discussion early. And what makes a big difference is being adaptable. It's important to stay open and stay inquisitive about better ways to work. Alex offers his two cents on how we can improve the whole process. I would have loved if somebody during like the education process, like when I was going to school, would have spent more time teaching me just like a good way to work as opposed to just, you know, the historical facts or like the scientific facts, like just a good way to work. Very simple things, but just how to work well with other people, you know? And I think that like when you go to school, you might learn the theory of things, but a lot of times they just don't teach you just how do you work well? Just the practicality of how to work well. And like, I think that's something that seems so simple of like, has, Hey, has anyone ever had a conversation with you about like, here's like sort of a baseline, like good human way to like communicate with others when you work with them, you know, or like, here's some best practices for, you know, within your field, farewell, you know, for you to be successful. Nobody ever told me that it was always like, well, you learn the facts, but you don't learn the finesse, 